It is great to be here with you guys today, and I'm so bummed that I haven't been able to come up and do anything with CO before this. I, I'm actually super jealous when I see what you guys are getting to do. My, my college experience, I went to a super liberal, liberal arts college in Idaho where it was historically Presbyterian, but we didn't even have a chaplain. And in fact, my religion professor was part of what's called the Jesus Seminar, where they used to go through the Bible and decide what passages actually were part of what Jesus said and which ones weren't. And if you can believe that, at the end of the day, Jesus didn't say a whole lot, not a whole lot that mattered. So I wish we had something like this. By my junior year, we finally had seven people who were meeting together to do a Bible study with one another. Um, but this would have been awesome. It would have been awesome to be with some brothers and sisters, training ourselves in the word and having a chance to go out into the community, evangelize, and work on discipleship with one another. So again, for you guys, my name's Ryan. Um, I'll just tell you a little bit about me. I don't want to give you the whole kit and caboodle uh, background, but I'll give you some of it. I'm blessed that I don't remember a day when I wasn't a believer. Uh, my parents both struggled with their faith, but they took me to church. And as a little guy, I remember sitting in the back row at a Nazarene church when the pastor did an altar call every week and saying, I think that's me. I didn't do the altar calls, I was scared to go up. But I remember thinking, that, that's me. I, I trust Jesus that way. And that doesn't mean I didn't struggle. It doesn't mean I didn't do some really stupid things growing up. But God was always there in the background. He was always there as the one I looked to, and Jesus was always a foundation in my life. And I praise God for that. I remember going to a concert once, a Christian concert, where the, the guy started out telling this horrible story about mom being addicted to crack and him having all these problems. He's like, man, I always wish I had that testimony. He's like, I didn't have that one. And I, I don't wish I had that one. I'm thankful for what God's done in my life. I'm thankful for how he's, he's used that presence. And, and I hope you guys are too, that, that if you're here, God's working in your life right now, that you might be drawn closer to him and know more about him. I won't tell you how old I am, but I graduated high school in 1996. And I uh, graduated college in 2000. And I met my wife on a training thing kind of like this as staff members for it. Uh, we chose not to date during that time as staff members, but we got back, we dated, we're engaged and married within a year. So Harmon, you're welcome. I just scared about 70% of the guys here from dating anyone. Uh, it, it, it's been great. It's exactly what God had for us. And now we've been married this summer 17 years. We have five kids, uh, ages 12 to five, 12 to six and a half. And uh, we're excited about this next phase of life that God has for us. So I've heard a little bit about the CO Summer Training Project. And from what I've heard, here, here's the two phrases I think I can sum up what I've heard. I've heard, it is hard. And I've heard, it is good. It is hard and it is good. And I have no doubt that many of you, about over halfway through this, this whole summer experience, can fully affirm that first one. It is hard. Being intentionally relational, being intentional with discipleship, being intentional with your own heart, being intentional with evangelism, that doesn't come easy to any of us. And none of us wake up in the morning and go, I'm going to go pursue those really, really hard things. But what I pray that you see as you start looking back, as, as God begins to work those things in your life, and I hope even this week, that you start to see how good those things are, how, how that hard leads to good things in God. As you put your trust in Jesus, as you look to him to be the one who satisfies you in these hard times, it is good because God is so good and good to provide. So this talk this, this afternoon I tried to craft specifically for you guys. CO students in college, staff, non-staff, 
And so you'll have to forgive me if it's a little choppy, because it's not something that I could memorize ahead of time and be all nice sermony and make sure it's all flowing great. But, but I wanted to be real with you guys, and especially because you guys are going through a hard and good time. As I talk about church planting, I just want to be up front that church planting is going to be hard and it's going to be good. So I just want to walk that out with you guys. In fact, that's been one of my, my goals as I've been sharing about church planting with people both, both in Boise, Idaho and back here. Is I've kind of made it my, my goal to see how many people I can scare away from church planting. And I think that's kind of panicked the church planting department a little bit. Uh, I, I brought, brought Kenny Stokes, the pastor for church planting in Bethlehem, out to Boise, Idaho. And I sat him down with a team of people there. And I said, I want you to tell them all your horror stories. And so for about an hour, Kenny shared every church planting flame out that he knew and what had happened and their eyes got about this big and and one of my church planting partners luke and katie miller uh luke's a firefighter was in the marines who's a gunner um, and his wife is a broker she owns her own real estate brokerage and katie leans over the table at the end of that time and she looks at me in the eyes and she goes you will not have a moral failure and i swear to god i think she would kill me and i think she'd have to get in line after my wife if that ever happened but she i love that she was not scared, and they weren't scared to say, you know, this is going to be hard. We're going to have to press into discipleship and into relationship in a way that we haven't done before if we want to see God working in our lives in this. And so that's what I want to talk about this afternoon. It is about church planting, what our heart is behind church planting, how I think you're going to find that you guys are being well-equipped to tackle something like that in your own life, and then specifically why I think college students and CO college students should think about church planting. Let me pray. Lord God, as we look at your word and as we talk about our future, God, only you know. Only you know where we're going to be. God, I, I have a, a rental truck, Lord, you know, waiting for me on Wednesday. And we have documents to sign on houses and, and you know whether or not we'll make it there. And God, you know what you have in store for each and every one of these brothers and sisters. The, the footsteps that you have for them to take next, the ways that they are to, to look to you in faith and trust in Jesus Christ and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that you might be made glorious and magnified in everything they do. So I pray this time is encouraging to that end. And would all else fade away, God, would you be seen as the one that we are living this life for. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. So when we talk about church planning, first and foremost, we are looking to be about God. We plant because of who God is, and we know that God is all about his glory. I love Isaiah 43. It says right in Isaiah 43, verses 5 through 7, Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offsprings from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. I love that phrase, whom I created for my glory. Each of us, from Adam and Eve to the very last person that's ever created before Jesus returns, was created to bring glory to God. You know, when Israel left Egypt and Moses is up on the mountain and they're down below getting ready to sin, God is sharing with Moses that plan. And when Jesus is asked by the, by the Pharisees, by the, by the men of the law, what is the most important commandment? He looks back to that moment. He looks back to Deuteronomy 6. He looks back to Leviticus 19. 
And he says this in Matthew 22. It's Matthew 22, verses 37 through 38. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Jesus is looking back to Deuteronomy 6 and saying, that's the goal of your life, to love the Lord your God with everything. And I stand here as proof, and you stand there as proof, you sit there as proof, that we don't do that. We don't love God with our everything. Outside of the grace of Christ and the Holy Spirit in our lives, we were never oriented towards God in a way that says, you are my everything. And we still fight for that daily, right? We, we know, and as you guys go out and you evangelize, I'm sure you've used the Romans road. You, you talk to them about Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We, we are not in right relationship with God outside of one thing, outside of Christ Jesus, right? I love that, that Paul doesn't stop there. Praise God, God doesn't stop there. That he doesn't stop until we get to Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ does what God promised he was going to do from the beginning. He comes and he's the one who opens up blind eyes, helps deaf ears hear, and changes hard hearts to be soft and to want to praise and worship God Almighty. I love how CO says this. I'm going to read you from two different CO documents. The first one's titled Glorifying God. The ultimate purpose of God and all his creation is to bring attention to God or to glorify him forever. Because there is nothing and no one more valuable or important than God himself, Campus Outreach exists that he may continually receive what he deserves and is due to him. Praise, honor, and glory from us as we find our joy in him. Or here's one from the Minneapolis site. We believe that the Bible points us to a sovereign God who is in control of all things in heaven and on earth. We as humans are created in his image, but are helpless to please him or turn to him. Apart from Christ, we are all dead spiritually and can do nothing to earn our righteousness or become justified in his sight. But God, being rich in mercy, made us alive through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He chose his elect before the foundation of the world, and in love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. That is the first goal of church planting. We want to bring people to an awareness of their problem with God and the only solution they have in Christ Jesus. Through the mercy that God has shown us through his death, his burial, his resurrection, and now his ascension into power at the right hand of the Father. Now I know some of you are probably thinking, some of you are probably saying, that was a great Christianity 101 lesson. Harmon and Brianna would probably cry if I couldn't have told you something like that, right? Like you're here, you've been out evangelizing. You, you should know that. And you're like, is that, is that what you're bringing to us? And I say, yeah, that's exactly what I'm bringing to you. See, theologically, you don't need to be a seminary student to go to a church plant. You don't need to have all of Romans memorized. Those are good things. What you need to be is someone who's passionate about God. And he knows that the only hope you have is Jesus. And you find your joy, your satisfaction in him alone. Knowing God that way, theologically, is hard and good. There's not a morning where I don't wake up where God says, you know what, you can take a day off from washing out for sin today. Don't worry about it. You just kind of go about your business. You do what you're going to do. You don't need to, don't need to think about that. I'm confronted every single day with my sin. 
that's a good thing. It's a good thing because my ultimate happiness doesn't, doesn't find its end in sin. My ultimate happiness finds its end in worshiping God and glorying in Christ Jesus forever. Jesus is the answer, as you guys know, and as you're proclaiming as you go out to the beach this afternoon. So when you get to be a parent someday, children are God's ways of taking all those stubborn things you didn't want to deal with in this phase of life and making you have to start dealing with them. So we've been trying to buy a house, and we're on our third house now that we've put an offer and it's accepted. We're supposed to sign on it this week, Lord willing, and that process will be done. And so I thought, here I am, I'm going to be the, the model dad. I'm going to get my kids together. And kids, let's pray. So this is the first house we were, we were offering on, right? Let's get together. We're going to pray. Let's pray for this guy that, you know, God's plans might be that we would get this house, that we would be able to move there. I, this would be just a great blessing on our life. And my son Gideon, who's eight years old, looks at me and goes, Papa, does he know Jesus? Right, here, here I am, I'm gathering my kids to pray, and my biggest concern is, are we going to get the house that I want? And it's my little eight-year-old that looks up at me and is wondering, does this guy even know Jesus? I praise God for that moment. It crushed me. And I was like, Vivian, you're right. This guy, I, I don't know. I don't know if this guy knows Jesus. And, and in fact, we might be the only people who would pray that he would know Jesus definitely today and maybe in a long time. Maybe there's no one else. Maybe that's the only reason we're offering on this house today is so that we might pray that this guy would know Jesus. So we did that. We stopped. We prayed. We still prayed for the house. We didn't get it. So obviously God just wanted us to pray for him, which is a good thing. And that leads us to the next section, right? That, that what we believe and what we know about God, our passion for Jesus and his saving work should not just be something that happens internal, but it should bubble out, and it should become a life that's lived to him. Now, that's where Jesus goes right next in Matthew 22. He says, and the second is like it, right? The second commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Right? It's not meant to be something that just stays internal, something that I, I dwell on when I'm in my quiet times, my devotions. It's supposed to have an effect on me. I'm going to read some CO documents here again. We, like many throughout history, desire to spread a passion for the glory of God throughout the world. It is our desire that his identity, reputation, and fame may be proclaimed to all people in all places by all appropriate means as urgently as possible. Campus Outreach has a strong commitment to sharing the gospel with unbelieving students on each campus. We believe that this is commanded and modeled throughout Scripture. We look to texts like Romans 10 and 2 Timothy 4 as scriptural basis for sharing our faith with non-Christian students on the campus. You've undoubtedly heard Matthew 28, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We are to be a going people. We're to be a spreading people. That, that passion for Jesus, that, that satisfaction that we find when we turn to him should compel us to a life that wants to see others hear that. I love how 1 Peter says this. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, not so that you can just sit back and avoid the world, do what you want. That's not where he goes. People for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 
God did the most amazing thing. He created living, breathing, walking image bearers. We are not the mute, dumb idols of the Old Testament where these demonic idols are sitting there, can't do anything. We are, we are image bearers of the Lord God Almighty. And as we go about our life, we are to bring glimpses of him light into a dark world that people might ask, what, what is the hope? What is the hope that you have? Who is this God that you know? And, and how do I know him as well? When we look to the call to love our neighbors as ourselves, it's really talking about two kinds of neighbors. We've got close neighbors, believing neighbors, those believers that we know, and we've got kind of far neighbors, unbelievers. Or another way we can talk about it is discipleship and evangelism. You know, the first one is discipleship. That's loving your close neighbor, the Christians around you. And it's, we shouldn't ever take for granted that our Christian neighbor knows all that we're talking about here or that they're resting in it. And we can't pre presume that God is seen as supremely glorious and wonderful through Jesus Christ to them. You guys should know this even better than me, right? This is a 2007 survey that said 70% of young adults between 18 to 22 do not attend church at least for one whole year during that period of their life. 70%. Don't even go to church or have any religious experience for at least a year, if not more. That was kind of their minimum of that study. And, and their, their top reason they gave for why they didn't do that during that season, number one reason, 25% of people, I moved to college. That's it. I went to college. I just quit. I stopped connecting with God. And a lot of those groups is because they're moving towards not just being nominal Christians, but nuns, right? The, the famous nuns. I don't know if you've heard about that term. It's so much of our culture now is moving so far away from Christianity that there's no impetus to say I'm a Christian and kind of sort of show up. They just say, I'm nothing. I'm none. In fact, the nuns now in our culture as of 2016 make up 25% of the population. That's bigger than all the U.S. Catholics. That's bigger than the Protestants. And that's bigger than all other non-Christian faiths. They're the largest self-identifying group is the nuns. I'm nothing. I don't believe in anything. So what are we to do? I mean, if, if we want to disciple brothers and sisters who, who are looking to God, they, they have some semblance of faith, how, how do we reach out to them? What, what does that life of discipleship look like? There's a great book called uh, Gospel-Centered Discipleship by Jonathan Dodson and Matt Chandler. And Jonathan Dodson goes through in that book, and, and he looks at the idea of being a Christian. And he says, more often than not, whenever we look at Scripture, the word that comes up again and again is not Christian, it's disciple. Disciple is what we are. That's what we're defined by once we come to faith in Jesus. Disciple is an identity, he says. Everything else is just a role. That's who you are. You are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And as we look at Matthew 28, we see that discipleship happens as we go about our day-to-day -day life and as people are baptized and taught about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's how Dotson says it. He says, if making disciples happens through gospel-centered going, baptizing, and teaching, the distinction between evangelism and disciple, discipleship is superfluous. Disciples are made, whether for the first or for the 50th time, through the gospel. Let me say that again. Disciples are made, whether for the first or for the 50th time, through the gospel. What I need today, what you need today, and what every unbeliever that we're going to come in contact with, 
is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that God himself, God of God, became man, died for our sins on the cross, that we might have his righteousness and be in relationship with God again. That's what I need every time God, in his way, lifts one of those dark rocks of my heart and shines his light on a part of my life I don't want to have to talk about. I need to remember the gospel of Jesus is enough. It's not about me working my way there. It's not about me cleaning myself up. Though I take my place under the power of the Holy Spirit, but Jesus Christ is the power that I need. The gospel is what disciples and what we need for evangelism. That's both hard and good. Had any problems with your roommates yet? Any problems with any of your leaders here yet? Discipleship is not easy. Hey, putting us next to other sinners and all of our sins as they begin to grate and rub on one another, God does that wonderful work that only he does through the Holy Spirit where he wants to use those moments to expose how much we need him. I heard a story from a friend who did a CO training time. I'm not going to even identify their gender or anything because I didn't ask their permission to share this story, but I'm sure this has happened only 100 times. They said that they were, they were up at summer training project, and, and they decided, man, they had all these reasons why they needed to be in a different room. They were all great reasons too, right? Like they, I, they, they came, they talked to their, their leader, they set out all these reasons before them, and the leader looked at them, and only the way that a good... CEO leader can say it graciously and lovingly said, I think you're being selfish. I, I think you care more about your own comfort than you do expressing gospel love to your brothers and sisters. And they said, ow, ow, that hurt. And it was true though, right? They, they were seeking comfort in that moment. They weren't seeking to demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ, to live a self-sacrificing life that they might grow that the others in their, their house might grow. But they are good. It is so good to be in relationship with others. People who will press in, who won't give up on you, who will help you on that trajectory of being changed into a glorious person who can sustain being with Jesus Christ in eternity forever. Praise God for their influence on our lives and, and the process of sanctification that God uses them to help us with. And so that means evangelism, when we go out, is really just an extension of that same thing. We want to draw others into that kind of a relationship. We want them to become part of that family, part of the people, part of that nation of God, that they might experience it with us. Evangelism is that natural outpouring. Even though it's hard, you know it's good, and you say, I want others to experience this. This is hard. Beach evangelism, anyone? Cold calling evangelism is hard. There's a reason many people, most people don't do it. It is difficult, but it's good. You don't know what God might do with that seed you planted. The first one, the third house my wife and I moved into with kids, I was over there prepping the house before everyone got there. And all I hear coming over the back fence is F this and F that. And, just cursing and screaming going on, a man and a woman. So I kind of peek out there, I get my head over the fence like one of those cartoons, I'm like, hey! <laughs> I just kind of peek out of them. They, they look back, oh, 
who are you? And we start talking and introduce ourselves. He's Paul, she's Mary, and uh, they're, they're from the hippie era, and uh, they never got married, but they've got two kids together. They're hanging out, and their, their last comment to me is, yeah, if we ever cuss too much, just yell at us, let us know, and we'll stop it. <laughs> it's going to be a fun, fun relationship we're going to have together. <laughs> so, so that began the next two and a half years of hanging out with Paul and Mary and being there with their daughter who had drug problems, who'd be up on the roof at night screaming at the things she was seeing. It was being there with Paul when Mary left him. I can't say divorce, they were never married. She just left after 20, 30 something years of being together, just left. Paul was a blue collar guy. He went and laid tile every day for a living. He'd done that his entire life. I don't know how many square feet of bathroom tile he'd laid, but he did it diligently every day. And we tried to share Jesus with him. He never once gave any inclination that, that he accepted the Lord. We wrote him several letters. When we were leaving, my kids wrote to him. We got several sweet cards back from him. We've lost track of Paul. We keep trying to track him down, see if we can connect with him. But it was hard. It was, it was hard to share the gospel of Paul. He, he was hard to talk to sometimes. It was not an easy conversation. And we never saw fruit of that. I mean, I can tell you all the good, good times where I saw fruit, where we had brothers and sisters from across the street come and get baptized, but I never saw anything with Paul. But it was good. It challenged me to trust in God because God's the only one who can do that work. There's nothing that I can say that can change a heart. There's nothing that I can say that's going to open eyes or open up ears that someone might see Jesus as beautiful. But I can take my place. I, I am excited about what God's done for me, and I, I do want to see Paul someday. I was, as I was preparing this, I was just sitting in my room praying for Paul. God, would you let Paul be there? It's not going to be because of us. Someone else is going to have that moment where he finally sees. God, I'd love to see Paul in heaven. I'd love to see Mary in heaven. I'd love to see all their children in heaven. So what I've been telling you so far is that church planting is about theology, discipleship, and evangelism. Right? We want to worship the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And we want to love our neighbors ourselves, both in the discipleship context and evangelist context. We want to see people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and their only hope. So largely what it means to be part of a church plant is that you're a Christian. That you love God. That you want to see other people love God. CO says this. They say, just Jesus Christ once says, as he observed a large crowd of people, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. That profound statement has rung true for more than 2,000 years. It can certainly be applied to our world in the 21st century. There is no shortage of needs, problems, and opportunities awaiting the approach of an equipped leader to make a difference. It is a desire of campus outreach to work hand-in-hand with colleges, universities, churches, families, and individuals to produce these kingdom leaders and laborers for which there is such a desperate need. What I'm describing to you is just a mature Christian, and it's what mission organizations are looking for. It's what your children ministry leaders are looking for at church. It is what any semblance of, of Christian mature membership looks like. However, I'm here to tell you specifically about church planting. Well, what's the distinct little piece then? If that's what church planting is rooted in, what's the distinct little difference, right? And I, and I think that's what's exciting about being here with you all, with college students, with people who are part of a CO project. Because I think God's creating a church planting machine 
with CO. I think God has the ability and that you all have the opportunity, if God captures your imagination through the Holy Spirit, being able to do profoundly amazing things throughout our culture today by seeing the gospel go th- forth through church planting. You know, whether you're here for your first time, whether you're here as staff, I think you have so many of the tools necessary to become part of church planting and see the gospel go to places it hasn't gone before. You know, one of the main things about church planting is it, it's part of being sent. I like Romans 10. That's where I go. Romans 10, 14, where it says, How then will they call on him how are they calling Jesus in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? We have to go out. We have to go find those people. We need to take the fight to the enemy's gates. We want to go and say, we're taking yours. We're going after those you have captured in darkness that you have blinded. And we're praying that God would use our efforts by the power of his spirit to bring light into their life. You know, we're all sent. We all have a semblance of the Great Commission, whether it's going to your backyard neighbor or the person next door to you in the dorms, whether it's staying in the Twin Cities and and moving somewhere around there, or whether or not it's moving to Boise, Idaho, or whether or not it's going to Kenya. We all have a, a semblance of being sent. The question just is exactly what kind of sent is God going to call you to? My wife and I, as we leave St. Paul and drive to Boise, this is about the equivalent of us driving from Athens, Greece to Lithuania, right? We would drive across eight countries to have to do that. And I can't imagine the nightmare it would be trying to get five kids and a dog and a moving truck across eight different countries and over 1,400 miles. And I praise God that here, it's not gonna be that way. So, so let me jump in and give you guys an example, six different reasons why I think you, college students, and then college students engaged with CO, are uniquely positioned to think about church planting, that kind of sending. Number one, you know the culture. We live in an amazing country where you have access to 320 some million people that all speak English, that likely go to Walmart, that all wear flip-flops and sandals at some point, right? You, you know the culture. It, some of you will be called overseas. I praise God for that. We want people going to the unreached people groups. We want people going to other places in the world to strengthen the church where it's failing. But statistically, most of you are going to be called to stay here in our country. And I praise God for that because you guys know the culture. You know how to reach not only to your own age group, but age groups coming after you, age groups around you. So if you were to be strategic about your life, why not think about where God might use you as you take off in this next season? Why not be specific about staying in a culture, but heading to a culture where you can be a part of seeing the gospel go out purposefully, evangelistically, that others might know more about Jesus. So that's number one. You actually know this culture. You guys are well-suited for staying in America. That should be kind of a duh. Number two, you are working and training to be solid, well-rounded Christians. And that is rare. It is sad, but it is rare. You are all working here 
at summer training projects be well-rounded Christians, and that is rare. I can't tell you how much, as a church planter, I go out and talk to people, and some of the first questions I get is, what kind of worship are you going to have? What do you think about homeschooling versus public school? Can you, can you wear shorts to your service? Right? I get where people are coming from, but everyone, so many people have, have a bent in Christianity. They have a bent towards this is more important than that. I, I, I'm, I'm more about, you know, well, you're going to do small groups? No, I just kind of want to come on Sunday. I, I don't, I don't want to do all that relational stuff, right? Or, or no, 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 I just want to do the relational stuff. I, we don't need to get together on Sundays. That's not, no, 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 just the relational stuff. I don't want to go deep. Let's just keep talking and hanging out together. You know, what I love that CO is doing here is forcing and encouraging you guys, I love that you signed up for it, to be well-rounded. You're emphasizing theology, you emphasize discipleship, you emphasize evangelism, and you emphasize being in the local church. That is rare. You all signed up for that. And that's what a church plant needs. It needs people who get the totality of the Christian life, who aren't wanting to stay stuck and kind of flabby in that one area, right? Don't make me go talk to people about Jesus. That's scary. Let's find someone with the gift of evangelism and make them do it, not me, right? Campus outreach believes in a relationship with the local church. Unlike most campus ministries, campus outreach is a, not a parachurch organization. They were not connected to one particular denomination, each with regional ministries under the authority and leadership of a regional church body. What an amazing opportunity with church planting to come be a part of churches that by default have to do this, have to reach out. Point number three, you are preparing to be cultural missionaries. That's what college is. Did you guys realize that? You are being equipped with a talent and a skill that will get you into doors other people cannot get into. I don't care how hard I try, they're not letting me in the nursing ward of any hospital, right? I can't, I'm not trained to do that. I don't have the licensing. And most of those people who are working there 40, 50, 60, 80 hours a week are going to come home, crash, and get back up and go back to work. And I'm never going to get contact with them. Someone with a nursing degree can. Someone with an engineering degree can sit next to someone who's sketching out the next Tesla or the next turbine that's going to give us a bunch of electricity. You all are, are being given skills that God will use to give you access to people who need to know him. Right, right, the goal of church is not that everyone would stop doing work and just sit together like this all day and sing Kumbaya. Right? It, the goal is that we would come together, that people might be equipped and encouraged and grown, that we might scatter and go back out and take our passion and our faith in Jesus to others around us. You guys are getting trained to do exactly that right now. Number four, you are the future. You are the co-heirs to the kingdom who will carry the gospel forward. When I wrote uh, my church planting proposal, I kind of, how long was I got in trouble? I, I took children's ministry out of my proposal. And you know that doesn't go over well in most churches when they don't see children's ministry kind of highlighted as one of the main points. And I said, well, no, 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 go look, go look. It's in my spreading section. In fact, I took children's ministry, youth ministry, college ministry, and stuck it in spreading. Because I really believe, just like we have a passion 
at Bethlehem to see the gospel be spread to every nation, every city, I think we also need to think of spreading it generationally. If we don't think about the next generation coming up and reaching the next generations, we might do a great work today and it will die with that generation. So you guys are the next generation. I think they're calling my generation not Generation X anymore, but like I'm part of this bridge generation. I, I, I remember typing up papers on typewriters. And I, I remember the day before we had cell phones, but I also had a computer. I also had a cell phone when I was in high school. So we're kind of in between your generation and this, this generation that came before us who, who kind of struggle how to do Facebook Live and get something up on Twitter. Uh, and it's crucial that we think about that. Do you guys know that 63% of people get saved between the age of four and 14? Only 4% of people get saved over 30. That means the next largest group outside of children at home with their families is that group between 15 and 30, where approximately 34% of people get converted. You guys are the future, and you're the ones who understand how to connect with your generation better than anyone. So we need you. You're gold to a church plant. <laughs> For any sort of church to continue moving forward, we need to help mobilize the next generations, and that's you guys. Number five, you get that life is hard and good, just like church planting. What you are experiencing this summer is that hard does not mean not good. Hard is just hard, and God meets you in hard. Church planting is hard. Church planting means sometimes leaving family. It means finding a different city. <laughs> For us, it means going back to family. That can be hard. <laughs> But it's good. You guys get that. You've been working on that. You've been experiencing that this summer. So you are at a, a unique moment. This is point number six, where all these things are coalescing in your life. Right? You're being trained well to take your and you're taking your part in that training. You, you get the culture that God has you in, and you're preparing for a calling that might even provide you with financial means and access to the people that God wants to have hear the gospel. You're part of the next generation that has to be part of stewarding and carrying this message forward. And you guys get that life is both good and hard. There's, there's that moment coming together, and, and undoubtedly you are all going to be looking for where to go next. College is this, this moment in life. But what I'd want to encourage you is the similarities between what you guys are experiencing and what I think good church planning should look like. I can't, I can't vouch for our, all church plans. But I think good church planning inevitably bumps up into the issue that you have to live out your faith with your theology. You need to have relational discipleship and evangelism together with that studying and preaching aspect. You guys are already doing that. Really, think about church planning as just kind of CO on steroids, right? And instead of being the difficulty of reaching out to an underclassman or reaching out to someone in another dorm, someone who plays a sport you don't play or someone who has a different major that you totally don't get why anyone would study physics. I met two of you already who study physics. I didn't know anyone who did physics when I went to college. Think of that and just multiply it, right? You're trying to reach across age groups. Trying to witness that 50-year-old who might be your dad's age. You know, I don't know. That's going to be hard. How do I identify with them? Think about witnessing to people who no longer, who didn't go to college. People who, who have no context for what it is you did. You're not, okay, you just worked. You went straight into the workforce. What's that been like for you? What's your experience of life been like? 
But at the end of the day, they need the same things. They need to know who God is. They need to know Jesus Christ. And they need a family. They need a place where discipleship can happen and they can be grown that they too might go out and evangelize and share that faith with others. I think that's what good church planning is. It's the experience you guys have just kind of blown up a little bit. So that's my encouragement to you. My whole goal this, this afternoon is to sort of demystify church planting. It's not this crazy thing that, wow, we've got to go to classes, we're going to have to figure out what church planting looks like. How, how would I ever be a part of something like that? I think you guys are already capable of doing that if you were so called by God. And I wanted to encourage you that particularly in this phase of life, you have unique skills you are being trained in unique ways, and you have a unique moment coming up here as college transitions to decide, do I want to be purposeful with that next step? Do I want to be purposeful and say, I'm not just going to kind of sit back, fall into whatever patterns may happen, but God, do I, do I want to look for what you might be calling me to? Would it be church planning? There's nothing wrong if God purposely calls you to stay in the exact same city, in the exact same neighborhood you're in. I lived in the exact same city for 30 years before I moved here. That was good. And God challenged me daily. There's nothing wrong with that. But you want to be one of those people that's constantly asking God, God, where? Is it, is it China? Is it moving to another? Is it to a church plant? And I sort of encourage you guys that I think church planting looms big as something you can have an amazing effect on. Church planters need solid Christians who get life on life, discipleship and evangelism. And I think you guys can do that well. Let me pray for you. Father, I just thank you for an opportunity to be here with my brothers and sisters and to just wonder, Lord, what, what might you have in their lives? God, would it be church planning? Would it be that you would like them to take a purposeful step as they finish off this college season, Lord, and as they look for a job and where you would have them? Would you, would you have them research church plants, small churches, ways that they can come in as people who love this process, who love the hard and good process of loving you and knowing you, of loving their Christian brothers and sisters and loving those who don't yet know you. God, would you raise up a generation that will passionately go forth, Lord, whether it's in their city, whether it's in a new city or a new country, God, would you let it be a passion that your name might be known and declared that Jesus Christ might be seen as the only hope of mankind. And it's only through his death and through his resurrection and power that we're saved. So God, we thank you for that. We thank you that you've brought us back into relationship with you. God, would you give us a passion to share that with everyone that we meet. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.